So again, good morning. Welcome to Life Center North. Glad that you're uh, with us today. We're in the closing week of our series uh, on prayer, and it has been really, really good. I know that for myself, and I hope for many of us, maybe even most of us, I hope that what we've experienced is this sense of uh, getting closer to God and getting better at our, our communication with Him in prayer. And uh, I'm thinking back to several weeks ago when Mike led off the series, and he talked about how despite the fact that our lives are busy and full, uh, there's something critically important about carving out those times and those places to be together with the Lord that we, uh, we cannot allow ourselves to become just too busy to pray. And um, reflect back when, when Nate spoke and talking about kind of some instructions for prayer and shared with us from the Lord's Prayer and the Sermon on the Mount, some, some things that we could learn about specifically how to pray. Last week, Mike spoke a little bit too and even addressed some of the reasons that perhaps uh, some of our prayers aren't answered the way that we would expect them to or hope them to. And uh, got some insight on how we can even respond to some of those levels of disappointments also. And so I'm kind of, I'm very sad to see this series come to an end, but I'm very excited about what we're talking about this morning, and that is praying in the Spirit. And praying in the Spirit is, is hopefully taking our prayer life to a place of, uh, of ever-expanding and ever-growing maturity. And maturity is something that, um, well, if you're a parent, you know how strong your desire is for your kids to become mature at some point, Right? How, how there's this kind of sense that maybe someday, somehow, God willing, it will happen. But what I really want for my kids is that they become mature. I know my parents are still praying for that fervently in their own lives. <laughs> and, and one of those marks of maturity is the ability that mature people have to get past um, looking at life and, and all circumstances only in terms of how does that affect me and learning the skill of saying, maybe it's not all about me. Maybe in the midst of whatever I'm going through, I can take a perspective that is, how does this impact others? And how maybe can I be a part of helping whatever's taking place impact others better? Approaching things and saying, not just what's in it for me, but maybe how can I use this to be a blessing to others? That's a mark of maturity. And I think that's true in our prayer life as well, right? I think a prayer life, as has been discussed during the series, a prayer life is just um, kind of getting God to do what I think he ought to already be doing for me might not be the most mature of prayer. But as we grow in maturity in our prayer life, we will find ourselves find, uh, learning to ask questions, not just what can God do for me, but God, how might you even want to use my prayer life to be a blessing and to accomplish things out in the world outside of me and outside of my own direct sphere of influence that way? And um, Part of the way that we do that is by praying in the Spirit. And, and before we get on to the topic of praying in the Spirit, I want to maybe talk about something that's a little bit prior to that, and that is the idea of living in the Spirit or being in the Spirit. It's a phrase that comes up throughout Scripture, and what does it mean? Well, in part, being in the Spirit or living in the Spirit, it's actually a result of God's Spirit dwelling in us first, right? Uh, it's pretty clear from Scripture that when someone decides that they're going to be a follower of Jesus, when they repent of their sins... Um, and, uh, and proclaim their devotion, their faith in Christ, the Apostle Paul describes it that the, that the Holy Spirit actually takes up residence within that person. So it's not even so much a big deal that I'm in the Spirit. It's recognizing that the Spirit is in me, right? And then allowing place for the Spirit of God who dwells within me to then live that out in some very natural and some very practical ways. So being in the Spirit then is an ongoing lifestyle of being aligned with the Holy Spirit and being focused on the Holy Spirit, and being influenced by the Holy Spirit. Aligned and focused and influenced. And I want to look at each of those uh, quickly. 
How is it that we're aligned with the Holy Spirit? Well, Paul wrote this to the Romans. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, he recognizes that there's a, there's a way of thinking, there's a way of believing, there's a way of behaving that, uh, that's a part of this world and the world that we live in. And that left to our own devices, we'll tend to pattern ourselves after that. But Paul says to the believers, he says, don't conform to that image. Don't conform to that pattern. Instead, be transformed. Allow God to transform you and to renew your mind so that you're thinking about the world the way that God does, so that you're perceiving the world the way that God does, and, and that in so doing, you're bringing into alignment your whole perception of everything that's out there. You're bringing that into alignment with the way that God already thinks about it. That's what it means to be aligned with the Holy Spirit. What about uh, allowing our, our heart to be focused by the Holy Spirit and focused on the Holy Spirit? Earlier in Romans, Paul wrote this. He said, those who live according to the flesh, they have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is peace and life. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. There's a realm of the flesh, and there's a realm of the Spirit. And God's Spirit dwells within us, and by His power and by His grace, we make choices that we are either going to focus on the thoughts and the deeds and the desires of the flesh, or we're going to focus on the thoughts, deeds, and desires of the Spirit. And, and if we're going to talk about what it means to live and to walk and to be in the Spirit, it means on an ongoing way making the, cho the choice not to focus on the realm of the flesh, but to focus on the realm of the Spirit. We align ourselves with what the Spirit is saying. We focus on the desires of the Spirit and then we allow that Holy Spirit who dwells within us to exert great and powerful influence on every aspect of our life. And this comes all the way down to our behavior. It's reasonable to understand that if the Spirit of God dwells inside us and we're aligning ourselves with Him and we're focusing on the things that He wants, that there's going to be an impact and a change and an influence on the way that we live, right? And Paul wrote to the church in Galatia and he said, this is what it looks like when all that activity of the Spirit within you finds its way out. It looks like this fruit that the Spirit of God produces in our life. And he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, doesn't that just perfectly describe your life? Maybe not so perfectly, right? Why is that? Because probably for most of us, we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to have enough influence on the way that we live, because if we were, that is the fruit that he would produce. Life in the Spirit looks like that because we've aligned our thinking, we've focused our attention, and we'd have allowed the influence of the Spirit of God who already lives in us to play itself out in that way and to produce those things. So that life in the Spirit, being in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit is an ongoing lifestyle of being aligned with, focused on, and influenced by the Holy Spirit. And then within that ongoing lifestyle, there will occasionally be these moments of these distinct occasions where um, we encounter 
the Spirit of God with greater power than at other times, when we come into that moment of encounter with a greater clarity than ever before, those times when the Spirit of God is powerful upon us more than usual. Now, theologically, we are a Pentecostal church, and that just simply means this. Uh, In the book of Acts chapter 2, it describes an experience that a lot of believers had on the day of Pentecost. That's where the term Pentecostal comes from. And that experience, it describes as being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that experience happened in chapter 2 of Acts uh, initially, and then it happened a number of different times to a number of different believers throughout the book of Acts. As a Pentecostal church, it simply means this, that we believe that that experience that the book of Acts describes as being baptized in the Spirit is an experience that is still valid, still relevant, that it still happens today, that it's still part of God's plan and intent and desire for his, believer, uh, for his followers to experience. It's something that God still uses today to empower individuals and to equip them for ministry. And along with that, as a Pentecostal church, we believe that the experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is often accompanied with spiritual gifts, things like prophecy or faith or miracles, or speaking in tongues in the worship setting, and then interpreting tongues in that same worship setting as well. And that those kinds of spiritual gifts go along with this experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's what we believe, and that's what we teach as a Pentecostal church. And now, for some reason, within the Pentecostal camp, the phrase, in the Spirit, sometimes gets um, exclusively connected to that experience of being baptized in the Spirit and exclusively connected to the exercising of those specific spiritual gifts that are listed there. And that's a mistake to do that, okay? I bring it up because this morning we're talking about living and walking and being in the Spirit, and we're talking about praying in the Spirit. And and although that may um, flesh itself out in some of our lives in being baptized in the Spirit and exercising some of the gifts that go along with that, that's not all that it means. And so when you hear the phrase praying in the Spirit this morning or walking in the Spirit or being in the Spirit, try not to think exclusively of someone standing up and delivering a prophecy or a message in tongues and somebody else interpret it. Try not to think of miraculous gifts like healing and faith and all the other things that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12. Those are a part of life in the Spirit, but they're not all of life in the Spirit. Because praying in the Spirit, just like walking in the Spirit, is most clearly understood as aligning and focusing and influencing our prayer life with what the Spirit of God who dwells within us is already thinking and saying and doing. And so listen with that backdrop to what Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. He instructed them this way. He said, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. I'm going to ask you to keep that up for just a second so that everyone can look at it. And I'm going to give you a quick quiz, okay? This is for 25 Christian bonus points, so if you're running low, get ready, okay? (laughs) Hands on the buzzers, ready to respond. Ready? The question is this. When should we pray in the Spirit? Fantastic. 25 points for everybody. You're very good. Excellent work. And that's an important point because sometimes uh, there's this mistaken notion that Praying in the Spirit, it just comes at those moments of really heightened uh, spirituality or those times when I feel really super close to God or those times when I'm either maybe super desperate and don't know what to do. And those are the times when I pray in the Spirit, but it's not most of the time. And when Paul's writing there, he says, no, praying in the Spirit is something that should be happening all the time, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayer. 
It's on all occasions. Whatever else praying in the Spirit is, praying in the Spirit should be a regular part of our ongoing prayer life. That is, our prayer life should be consistent with the rest of our life in the Spirit, being aligned with and focused and influenced by the Spirit of God dwelling within us. So let's look at some of those things kind of piece by piece here, if we may. First, with regard to alignment, praying in the Spirit, it means bringing my motives and it means bringing my desires into alignment with God's plans and purposes when I pray. It means bringing my motives and my desires into alignment with God's plans. That's kind of tough because I've come to discover over these years, sometimes my plans and God's plans don't particularly line up. And to bring my plans into alignment with God's and my motives into alignment with God's means I have to leave mine behind. James wrote to the church and he said, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talked about the people who like to stand publicly and, and pray big, impressive prayers so that they could be recognized as deeply spiritual people. Their motive was for personal recognition. In both of these cases, we see those are wrong motives to pray. Those, those motives are unaligned with what the Spirit wants to do in, that, uh, in the person who's praying. What does it look like when those motives come into alignment? What would that look like? Listen to what, Rome, uh, what Paul says when he writes to the Romans. He says this, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I, I love this idea that the Spirit of God who dwells within us, will actually intercede for us. Like, as a broken person who tends to get my own motives a little bit confused and my own ideas out a little further ahead of God's than they should be, I love this idea that I have a resource that I can kind of shut down my own motives, shut down my own machinery, and allow the Spirit of God to be the one directing the prayer, praying for the things I ought to be praying for uh, in the first place, and praying about them the way I ought to be praying about them. Because like... Uh, like Paul mentions, I'm weak, and I don't know how to pray as I ought. It's interesting. He starts this passage describing this, and he says, in the same way. Leading to the question, in the same way as what, right? Well, immediately preceding this, Paul gives two examples of what it's like to kind of be stuck in a place, knowing there's more ahead, but living in the tension of not being able to get there yet. And he talks about specifically, he says, all of creation, it groans as it waits for its redemption. Like the create, created order knows that the day is going to come when God's going to renew it. He's going to make all things whole and new and good. And this broken, fallen creation that has uh, natural disasters and plague and disease and brokenness and, and things uh, winding down, that it's as if creation knows one day that's coming to an end and there's going to be an eternal rebirth and it's going to be glorious. But we can't get there yet. I'm stuck. It's stuck in the right here and now and we groan under the weight. And then he, Paul gives a second example. He says, you, with regard to your personal relationship with God, you have the Spirit dwelling within you. You're a, you're a child of God, and yet you know that the completion of your redemption awaits you in heaven. And it's going to be perfect, and you're going to be made more and more like Jesus. You're going to take on eternity as you were designed to do. Things are going to be perfect as God designed them to be, and that's what's ahead. But in the here and now, you're not there yet. 
We struggle with our own broken character. We struggle with our sin nature. We struggle with whatever habits and patterns have been built into our life, either through our own choices or the choices of those who raised us or the people that influenced us along the way. But we're stuck in this place here because we can't get all the way there now, and we feel the weight of that. And there's this groaning anticipation of, I can't wait till this is done, and that's for real. And then he says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. There's a time coming when we will be um, so led by the Spirit and so filled with the Spirit, and our communication with Jesus will be so direct and so complete that it won't be a problem, and we'll know how to pray, and our motives will be under control, and we'll be fully aligned, and we'll be talking to Jesus about exactly the things he wants us to talk about, and it will, our heart will be in the right place. That place is coming, but we're not there yet. And, and so we groan, and we know that there's more, and, and there's somehow this unarticulatable, I can't quite find the words of it sense for I know it's out there, but I can't get to it. And when we reach that place in prayer, when there's, there's something going on and I need to know how to pray for it and I need to know how to bring God's resources to bear on that, I just can't find the words to say it. Paul says the Spirit helps us in that moment of weakness, in that moment of desperation, in that moment of futility. The Spirit intercedes for us, taking those inner groanings and finding a way out to articulate them and to give them voice. So in our prayer life, we want to pray well, but we're weak. We don't know what to pray. That's why Jesus in the Lord's Prayer says, look, pray this way, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Leave it in God's hand. Have you ever been around one of those circumstances where it was just, it, it was either too difficult, it was too emotionally intense to take it all in, you're just, or, or maybe things were just happening and changing so fast that you couldn't process it quickly enough, but there was just so much going on that you just couldn't find the words to even begin to pray. I mean, sometimes I get to those points where I, I'll, the only thing I can get out is the name of Jesus and, and a help me, maybe. I remember the time I got a, a phone call. Um, Rochelle was pregnant with our second. Our first was a toddler, and they were off at the mall, and I got a phone call that she had kind of passed out, collapsed, and was receiving treatment, but I should get there quickly. For me, that I just too much to process. Didn't know what to do with that or how to go about that or how to begin praying other than God protect me as I break every known traffic law on my way to the store. And what a moment to have the ability to say, I don't have the words for this. The intensity of my desires for what I wanted God to do couldn't find their way out in any words that I know, but there was this resource of the Spirit interceding for those very groanings, praying about that situation the way God wants for it to be prayed. Um, allowing the Spirit of God within me to be the one interceding and not to be limited by the weaknesses of my own incapacities and my own feeble mind. That's what praying in the Spirit is about. Allowing the Holy Spirit who lives within us to, to uh, in find, those, find voice for those inner groanings. Another reason that we need that is we don't always see the situations we're praying about exactly for what they are. Have you ever been like deeply embroiled in, a, in an intense family problem? Families are, are key on this one because you, you get right in the middle of it and you feel like, I know exactly what's going on. I know my sister and I know her problems. I know my brother and I know his problems. I know my parents' problems. If I had any, I'd know about them too. But I, you know, <laughs> I got this whole thing under control. And, and so I know how to pray, right? Because I think I know what's happening. And then if you ever just get above that, you realize, I don't have a clue what's really going on. When my son was in first grade, I remember he came home one day and started telling me about the football game they played at recess. And he told me about this one spectacular touchdown play that they ran. And he like got it out and he diagrammed it and the receiver went this way and the linebacker 
took the fake, and so they went to the tight end across the middle, and he pitched it back, and the other guy blocked it. Beautiful play. Fantastic. I thought, man, first grade football has gotten way more complex than when I was a kid. It was outstanding. One day later, I happened to be on campus during recess, and I watched the first graders playing football. And it didn't look anything like what my son had described. <laughs> it looked like madness and chaos and craziness and kids running around and screaming and yelling. And every, every now and then, somebody would throw a football somewhere. But it was nothing like what he had experienced in his mind. I, I think that's our experience of reality and the things we want to pray for a lot of the time. I'm sure I see it clearly. God, I've got this great play, and I'm going to go here, and you're going to do that, and then I'm going to go this way, and it's all going to work out fine. And if, and if God wasn't so kind, he'd just be laughing, going, you don't have a clue. <laughs> you don't have a clue. You don't need to pray for it the way you see it. You need to pray for it the way it really is. And you don't know that. The Spirit within you does. Give place for the Spirit to rise up and to intercede on your behalf. That's why I love this passage in Romans 8. I love it. It's awesome. God's Spirit himself will intercede and pray for us the way that we would pray if we knew what to pray for and how to pray for it. What an incredible resource that, that gets past the limitations of our own weaknesses and frailties and has the Spirit of God interceding on our behalf on a regular basis. So can I, can I talk about a little bit of practical application here as far as aligning our motives and our desires in prayer? I think one of them would be this. We need to begin our prayer by asking God to identify and to reveal in us whatever wrong motives may be there. Uh, David wrote this Psalm 139 in which he said, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And God, would you see if there is any offensive way in me? And would you lead me in the way everlasting? Wouldn't that be a great way to start every prayer time? God, I'm coming to you because I, I really want to do business in the Spirit here, but at the start, if there's something in me that needs to change, would you reveal it to me and then lead me in the everlasting way out of that? And then we can ask God practically, God, would you lead me, would, in this time of prayer, God, would you lead me by your Holy Spirit? And then wait quietly, wait for God to direct your prayer, and then pray about the things that he brings to mind. See, being spirit-led in our prayer, it's not like a spooky, supernatural, surreal, otherworldly kind of thing. It can just be very straightforward where we ask God's spirit who dwells within us to lead the way, and then we simply faithfully follow and pray as we know how. That's what it means to align our desires and our motives in prayer. Praying in the spirit also means allowing the Holy Spirit to direct and maintain, to direct and to maintain my focus. It's on the one hand, I'm going to come into alignment with who the spirit is and what he's doing, but then I've got to keep my mind focused there, right? Because how many of you know, once the eyes close and the prayer start, the focus starts going everywhere, right? All over the place. And so if we've gone to the trouble to align our motives and our desires with the spirits, then we have to address the issue of how do I, how do I keep focus there? How do I make sure that uh, amongst the multiple distractions that I don't just get sent off in a hundred directions? Does anyone, ha is that, am I talking, am I the only one who finds themselves getting distracted? Actually, we dug up some archival footage here a Cooper who comes up and does the announcements, when he was a young kid, was a prayer warrior phenom. But he struggled a little bit with distraction, and I think we've got some of the video of that uh, right here. Okay, okay, it's turned on, we're good. Okay, this is for Mrs. Stevens' class. Our assignment is to document how we spend the day after school. And sometimes I just like to videotape some of my prayers, and. 
here is some of my prayers, so here it goes. Lord, I thank you for my friends at school and my teachers and all that you have given me. And Stupid thing. Oh, I forgot about you. Maybe I'll just finish this one level. this room before I can start praying again. Okay. Woo! I am sweaty. Okay, let's get back to praying. My room's clean. I can focus now. Lord, I just thank you for my friends at school. I thank you for my teachers and I just want you to help me be focused and always do my homework. To do my homework. Let's just do that real quick. I forgot to turn off the camera. Oh well, let's just get back to praying. Lord, I thank you for. Oh yeah, it's Dad. <laughs> Hi, Dad. I'll just tell her, okay? Love you. Bye, okay? Okay? Okay! Mom! Dad says he's gonna be late for dinner! Lord, I just thank you for my family. My sister to be a bear person. Please! I know. <laughs> so we've all been there, right? Right? If it's not one thing, it's another. And part of the reason is we just are not great at, um, at shutting down our minds uh, and, and letting them rest and have some peace, right? And one of the things that happens when we, uh, when we pray in the Spirit is, uh, is it allows our mind to take a rest. Um, and we actually can kind of circumvent some of the distractions of the mind by engaging our spirit in prayer. Listen to what Paul says. He says this, uh, speaking of praying in tongues. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. And I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Now, Paul, Paul here is talking about this practice of praying in tongues. And this is just for clarity's sake, I want to be sure we understand. This is something different than the uh, spiritual gift of speaking in tongues like you would encounter in a public worship service. In a public worship service, the way the speaking in tongues would work is someone would give a message in a tongue that they hadn't learned, and then God, by his spirit, would give someone else in the assembly the the gift of interpretation, and they would share what that message went, and that's how that would happen. That's all laid out in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14, and that's very clear. But for what Paul is talking about here about praying in tongues is much more in line with what he was describing in Romans 8, allowing the Spirit with groanings too deep for words to intercede 
in a way that intercedes for God's people according to God's will. And Paul says that when that happens, my mind's not particularly fruitful. Like with my mind, I couldn't tell you specifically what was being prayed for and how it was being said, but at the same time, my spirit is being productive. My spirit is being uh, fruitful, that God is accomplishing things in the spirit. Praying in tongues is the practice in your personal prayer life of allowing the spirit to pray through you, interceding for God's people according to his will. And it's a partnership with the Holy Spirit. Here's what I mean by uh, it's a partnership. Um, Praying in tongues is not something that happens to you. Like this um, unavoidable, unavoidable force comes over you, and although you never intended to and were just standing stock still, all of a sudden God starts like manipulating your body, and now there's air moving out of your chest and over your vocal cords, and your tongue's moving, and your lips are flapping, and then noises are coming out, and I had nothing to do with it, like a puppet. No, um, speaking or praying in tongues isn't, um, isn't something that happens to you. It's something that you partner with God in which shouldn't surprise us. Isn't that the way the Spirit of God works with us in a lot of areas? How is it that the Spirit of God develops character in you and me? Does he just give it to us? Don't I wish. That's not how it works. We find ourselves in circumstances, and by his grace, the Holy Spirit works with us in those moments to say, here's a point of obedience. You'll need to step forward into that to develop character. Here's a point of sacrifice, maybe, that God's asking me to make. And I have to step into that and participate in it in order to grow in that particular part of character. Maybe there's a particular habit of response or anger in my own life that I feel the Holy Spirit tapping and saying, that's a place I'd like to work, that's something I'd like to change. But he doesn't just change it against my will. He gives me the opportunity to walk in submission and in obedience to say, yes, I will be a part of that. And then he meets me in that and empowers me in that, and that's where the character comes from, right? Praying in tongues is very much the same way. There's a partnership in that we step into that in that moment, maybe because, um, maybe become, we, because our motives and desires have become aligned with God, maybe because things have overwhelmed us and we find ourselves in a spot where we're desperately aware that I need God's insight more than my own. But we come to those moments where we say, yes, I'm, I'm going to step out in faith and I'm actually going to um, move air across vocal cords and I'm going to form sounds with my lips and my tongue and teeth just like I normally do, only they won't be the normal sounds and normal articulations that I would speak in, in a language that I know. And I just yield those to the Lord and trust that God by his spirit is interceding for me, even in the midst of my partnership in that. The obvious question is, well, how do you know, right? How do you know that the spirit of God is really involved in that? And I'll just say simply, you don't. I know this. Um, I also couldn't tell you how I know that I'm saved. I just take the Bible at face value I look at what it says, I believe that it's true, and then I step out in faith into that with the conviction that what the Bible says is true, and therefore my salvation is something that's real. I can't prove that to you, and you can't prove that to me. It's something that I affirm by faith. Praying in tongues is very much the same way. I, I see it there, I see the principle, I believe that it's true, and so I step out in faith, and then I believe. I think that in practice, that if you talk to people who make praying in tongues a part of their regular prayer routine, you'll find that they are lifted up by that, they're encouraged by that, they access a sense of God at work in their life in a pretty powerful way. I will tell you, that doesn't prove anything. Don't look for proof. The, Hebrew, the, the scripture in Hebrews, I don't think it says, without proof, it's impossible to please God. I'm pretty sure it says that without faith, it's impossible 
to please God. With regard to, to praying in tongues, it's simply using the biomechanisms of our human body as we cooperate the Holy, with the Holy Spirit as he prays. So practical application. How is it that, um, that I can stay focused on the things that the Spirit leads me to in prayer? And maybe even to a point where I might be willing to step out and pray in tongues. Practically speaking, a time and a place that are free from distraction or that minimize distraction are a great idea. Finding a place where the kids aren't running around and, and jumping up and down and creating noise. Finding a place where the TV's off and maybe the music's down a little lower. A place where you can focus on what you're do, the business you're doing with God. Sometimes it's a matter of finding the time to decompress, right? We live lives that are frantic and full and running and going. And so I sometimes find myself sprinting into my time of prayer and saying, Dear God, <sighs> like, I've just, like I've just finished a sprint. Take advantage of the Take advantage of the times that you have. Maybe it's maybe in the car on the way back from work or from the store or from wherever to say, I'm going to spend some time maybe listening to some Christian music or some worship music, just slowing things down a little bit in my mind and my spirit. Maybe taking a little bit of time to decompress before diving in. That can be very helpful. Um, just another real practical tool, we've mentioned it before. On our website, we've got the prayer wall, which lists dozens of uh, ongoing prayer requests from people in our congregation who have gone onto the website and said, Please pray for this situation um, that I'm going through. And they describe it. I mean, what a great workshop to say, Lord, in this moment, I'm going to ask your spirit to guide me and direct me to pray for which of these different prayer requests are listed on this prayer wall. And then as God calls one to your attention or as one steps out or or you kind of take notice of that, pray for them, intercede for them. That will help your focus. And then simply I'd say be open to the idea of praying in tongues. If that's part of your practice, keep going. If it's not, I would encourage you to be open to might the Spirit of God be calling you in that direction, to not say no too quickly, but to say yes as the Spirit leads you and to step into that in faith. There's the issue of aligning ourselves with the will and the words of the Holy Spirit, and there's the, there's the element of focusing our attention. And then finally, praying in the Spirit means praying about the places where the Holy Spirit is already influencing my life every day. You see, walking in the Spirit, being in the Spirit, living in the Spirit means that at every day, in every day, at every moment, the Spirit of God is at work in us, identifying some things that need to change, putting his finger on things that says, this, this could be better. This is something you should let go of. Here's something else that I have for you. And when the Holy Spirit targets a particular area of our life, it's our time to say yes and to begin not just trying harder, not just trying to let go and suck up the willpower to get it done, but to say, God, if you're asking me to do this, I'm going to need your help. I need your help to accomplish these things that you're asking me to do. And we take it to prayer. Uh, The 90-day challenges that have been going since January have been fantastic. And so many of you have shared your story about um, how it is that just by bringing to prayer what it is that God's asking you to take part in. Many of you said, I'll take place in the Bible Bible reading challenge. And you've been faithfully reading the Bible and asking God to bless that. I hear great stories. Same is true of the tithing challenge. Same is true of the uh, health challenge. But I wanted to share this testimony I got from someone who engaged in the 90-day Bible reading challenge and then took that to the Lord and and said, God, I want this to be everything that it can be. They sent me this email. Pastor Scott, I feel compelled to provide a quick testimony to the power of spending time in the most important relationship of my life. 
residing and abiding in his teachings, whether it's the history of his faithfulness or the power of his Holy Spirit working in the lives of his people, it gives me hope and it gives me encouragement. God provides a roadmap for the day ahead because the wisdom of his word is timeless. And just when I think he won't have what I need that day, he proves me wrong. He speaks directly to my heart. And so I am grateful. The ability to encounter that and experience that in the midst of obedience comes from just having laid it open to the Lord in prayer. The Bible tells us of the kinds of things that the Holy Spirit does in our life, that he convicts us of sin, that he reminds us of what Jesus has said, that he comforts us, that he empowers us to serve others and to bear witness to the cross, that he works within us to produce the mind and the character of Jesus, and that the Holy Spirit distributes spiritual gifts. He's always doing all of these things. And so my question is, which of these things is he doing with you? Where is the Spirit of God at work in you as you walk in the Spirit? And if you can identify where he's at work and what he's asking you to do and where he's asking you to step forward, if you can do that, then it is the time to begin praying over that powerfully. Because it's as we uh, align ourselves with the Spirit's desires and purposes and focus upon his calling and then, and then focus our prayers on the places where he is wishing to have influence on our lives, we see powerful and mighty results. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. We're going to close this service in prayer, but maybe just a little differently than we do a lot of the times. A lot of the times, I would lead us in a prayer. But having spoken about what it means to be led in the Spirit to pray, I want to just give us a few minutes, kind of like we had earlier in the service. And in these moments... Would you allow the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within you to direct your prayer? To sit quietly and to have just a few moments where we can say, Holy Spirit, we want to pray not according to our own will, our own motives, or our own limitations. But God, we want to mature in our prayer life and pray about the things that are on your heart. Holy Spirit, would you lead us into praying about the things that you desire us to pray about. And as those things come to mind in these next few moments, would you commit those things to the Lord in prayer? Let's spend some time praying.